You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Hebrews 11:5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is the word of the Lord. So let me invite you to pray with me now. So living God, we invite you into this room, in this moment, receive what you might have to say to us. Lord, I just wanna echo the prayers I've been praying for your people right now. One, I really pray that we would take to heart through our weeks this divine invitation to walk with you. I pray that we would take that to heart and figure out ways throughout our week, throughout our schedule, to do just that, to cultivate this walk with the true and living God. And I pray that as we do that, God, we would experience the joy, really that joy that can abide in any and every season and circumstance. We could say with Paul, like I've found the secret to be content in every situation, even hard ones. Because whatever happens in our world, our walk with you is always available. The door is always wide open. So God, show us what it is to walk with you. Convict us of our apathy. That that is the prime problem in our relationship with you. Yes, we need instruction and we need to learn how to walk with you, but our main problem is our apathy. So just blow our apathy up, God. Light our hearts on fire like you did with Enoch and others to pursue you. And God, even this morning, would we experience that that joy um, as we consider all that you've done to, to, to pave the way for us to have a real relationship with the God of the universe. We ask this this morning as your people, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me just invite you to keep that open. Genesis chapter 5, and if you can kind of mark, if possible, Hebrews chapter 11. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Can I ask you to consider breaking down your life, okay? Consider your life and and the way we often kind of break it down and have like chapters or uh, sort of memorable moments are these like highlight mountaintop moments in your life. So when you're young, you have a bunch of these mountaintop moments to look forward to. I think as you get older, you're looking back on a lot of them. But what for you are the mountaintop moments of life? The moments of life that make life worth living, the moments of life that uh, really do fill you with a Uh, I think we celebrate as a culture too many graduations. We don't need cap and gowns from preschool to kindergarten, in my opinion. But like, you know, you get to high school, that's significant. You graduate high school. Those are significant moments. Those mark our lives. Maybe graduating college, that that for some of you was a big moment. Uh, Joining the military, getting a promotion in the military, that's one of those kind of like big moments that marks your life. 
Uh, maybe for some of you, it's career-based, certain accomplishments in your career, or maybe more recently getting the job that you worked really hard to get. For some of us, those like you know, big moments are our marriage uh, moment we look forward to since we were young, uh, the, the birth of our first kid, some kind of accomplishment or award. Uh, maybe, maybe a big mountaintop moment uh, in your life is uh, looking forward to retirement, getting to travel and experience the world a little bit. I don't know how you kind of find those moments through your life. The great tragedy that I would invite us to consider is that as we think about the really significant, meaningful mountaintop moments in our life, few of us, if any, would naturally say, hey, the, the great joy of my life uh, the, the great mountaintop moments, the thing that gives my life meaning and significance is that I have been invited as a mere human being to walk in a relationship with the creator of the universe. Few, if any, would mark that as the highlight of their lives. Now consider Genesis 5 with me. Some of you are in Bible reading plans and you made it through Genesis 5 and it's almost like these mini obituaries. Uh, we get a kind of quick snapshot of these different people's lives. We hear about how long they lived. Uh, we'll hear about the children uh, that, that came after. Maybe it'll tell a little bit about what they accomplished. And Genesis 5 really zeroes in on Enoch and his sort of obituary, if you will. Uh, and, and it describes his life. Let me just read this, this passage one more time. Genesis 5 25, when Methuselah, or sorry, Genesis 5, 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, after he had fathered birth 365, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. If you came to our friend Enoch and said, hey, Enoch, I, I see your obituary here. You lived a lot of years. What were for you, what were the significant moments? What are those moments you set apart that really added to your life, that really define your life, that really give your life meaning and joy? Enoch would respond back to you and he said, what gives my life meaning and joy is that I walked with God. And we might say back to him, well, that's great. I'm glad you had Enoch some good quiet times and Bible studies, but like, you know, your, your career, your, your income, uh, your family, your accomplishments, any awards. And he would look right back at you and say, no, no, you don't understand what I just said to you. I, a mere man, a mere dust from the earth, have been invited into the greatest privilege that any human could ever experience. I, a mere human being, have been invited into a walk with the God of the universe. If you take one thing away from our time together this morning, it is this, that this walk with God is not just reserved for Enoch or the people of the Bible. If you take one thing away from, the, from our gathering this morning, I hope you take away this. The God of creation wants to walk closely with you. When I say that, I don't just mean New City Fellowship, like us as a gathering. That's true. That's definitely true. But I want you to understand the God of the universe wants to walk closely with you. The question you have to ask yourself this morning is, do you desire to walk with him? Do you desire to walk with him? God desires to walk closely with you 
Do you desire to walk closely with him? I want to begin this morning by looking at what does it mean? Like when Enoch walked with God, what was involved in, in that? What, what did that mean? First of all, let's look at this just little phrase, Enoch walked with God, and a few really significant things that are involved with there. And the first thing that I want us to see is, is what this word with means in the Bible. This is going to be reminiscent to what we talked about a little over a month ago when we were in John 1. But when the Bible uses the word with in the context of a relationship, it is not just using a preposition to describe like spatial proximity. Like this pulpit is with me in a sense. Like it, it is close in proximity to me. When the Bible uses that to describe relationships, it's not just saying that Enoch walked with God. Like Enoch was close in proximity with him. When the word with is used in the Bible, it's used to describe nearness of relationship. It's to describe closeness of relationship. It's even, you could use the word intimacy. That, that's what's being used there. Uh, an example of this is in that Hebrews passage we read this morning. So it's describing Enoch, that the Enoch walked with God and that this pleased God. Uh, but then it goes on to say uh, that it's describing faith in the next verse, in verse six. And it says, after Enoch, uh, that without faith, it's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God. That, that's what's, being, what's happening here. The way you would describe, man, I'm really close to that person. Not just spatially, I'm, I'm near to that person. I'm close to them. It describes friendship, relationship, intimacy. The, the, the fact here that, that God walked close with Enoch describes relationship. Another example of this is in John 1. Remember, we read in, in the beginning of John 1, we, we noted that that doesn't just mean the, that the eternal son was like in God's presence, though that's true. Uh, there's this corresponding verse in John 1 that describes uh, uh, the eternal word as being God's son and says, uh, no one has ever seen God, the only true, true God, but his son who is near to the father's heart. That, that's what's involved in the, the withness there, closeness of relationship, not just proximity. I remember having, as I first was meeting Chelsea, we had this season where like, Everyone knew that we were dating, but we wouldn't have said that. We're like, oh no, we're, like, we're, we're, just, uh, we're just spending time together. And we kind of had a long runway with that, which I actually recommend for those of you who are dating, just try to keep it casual for a while, okay, if possible. Um, but people would, would like you know, lean in a little bit and wonder what's going on with this relationship. And like, yeah, you seem part of it was what? That we were together all the time. So they might ask questions like, hey, you seem to be with Chelsea a lot. Like, what's up with that? But that, they, of course, I couldn't respond with like, oh, like by proximity, like we, we are spending time together. That, that wouldn't have worked. They could tell there's a nearness that's happening there. There's a relationship that's happening there. And then we finally were able to admit reality. Yes, it's true. We were young, but we were indeed growing in closeness with each other. We were near to one another in, in the way it's being described here that Enoch walked with God. So the first thing that's involved here, the thir- first thing that God does desires in his walk with you is closeness, nearness, friendship with you. The second thing, and this is so important for us to understand that's involved here, is a great condescension, a great lowering. So Enoch walked with God. In order for that to happen, a enormous condescension, an enormous gap has to be crossed. 
So for you and I to walk with one another, to have a relationship with one another as human beings, not all that complicated. We simply move towards one another and we begin to, you know, spending time together, seeing if we have similar interests, we grow in our relationship. But if we are going to relate with God, we have this problem. There is a massive gap between he and us. Just by virtue of who he is and who we are as creatures, he is transcendent, he is above and beyond, we are here below. Uh, he is eternal, we dwell in space and time. As it pertains to our character, he is holy, we are common. As it pertains to our sinfulness, he is righteous, we are sinful. So there's a massive gap that exists. So that gap somehow has to be crossed, is going to be able to bridge that gap. Not work hard enough, I cannot climb high enough to even begin having a relationship with God. The only way, and I mean the only way we as human beings can have a relationship with God is if he condescends down to us. And with Enoch, we see that's exactly what he did. Enoch entered, God entered into the world of Enoch. And God didn't do it because he had to. He didn't do it uh, because he was obligated to. He did it out of love. And brothers and sisters, understand this about love. Someone said this, and it's so helpful to understand the way love works. True love is a condescending love, or we could say it like this. Love always goes low. You can in enjoy someone and like them. That that's fine. But love always goes low low. It condescends. Let me explain that. I experienced that as a dad right now with young kids. There are a few things in order for me to have a relationship with my kids, a few things that we like both enjoy, like maybe we'll both, you know, certain movies or, or things like that, that, that we enjoy together. By and large, the things I want to do on my day off and the things they want to do on their day off are very different from each other. Like for me, man, just an enjoyable time is like maybe a fire is going in the fireplace and some soft music is playing. The house is clean and quiet. I've got a good book and a cup of coffee that, that I'm enjoying. Everything that they enjoy wars against that possibility. <laughs> it, it level and war, wars against that. So here I am as their father. You could say at this kind of like higher level in life, right? If I want a relationship with my kids... I can't just hand them a cup of coffee and a book on church history and say, well, let's just spend time together. We can talk about what we read. That's not gonna work. If I'm gonna have a relationship with my kid, I've gotta put my stuff aside, get down on the floor. I've gotta uh, you know, play with dolls. I've gotta, you know, God forbid, maybe ice skate one day. Like uh, the, These are the things that they wanna do in order to relate with me. But in love, what does, what does love provoke me to do as a father? Sure, as much as I'd love to sit in you know, the, the peace and quiet, I love my kids. I wanna have a relationship with my kids. And so love goes low. Fathers hear that this morning, especially fathers who love to have just time disengaged to yourself. Love goes low. Love condescends in service to other people. And what we see happening in God's relationship with Enoch is him condescending, entering into the world of Enoch, not because he has to, but because he wants to walk with him. He, he desires him, so he goes low. One final thing that I want us to just see about the dynamics of this relationship is actually something that is missing from this walk that many of us might expect, uh, I, I'll, I'll describe it to you like this. There, what's, what's absent from this walk with God? What, what the passage does not say is that Enoch walked with God to the temple to perform the religious duty. It does not say that Enoch walked with God 
to the soup kitchen to serve the poor. It does not say that Enoch walked with God to Home Depot to, to buy some stuff to be productive and build something. And of course, I'm not suggesting that God doesn't have duties for us to perform. He doesn't care about us serving people who are in need, nor that he doesn't want us to be productive. What I simply want you to understand is that walking with God is an end in itself. Walking with God is not, well, we do that in order to accomplish something. No, just having a relationship with the God of the universe is significant in and of itself to pursue it. And while God may have much for us to do and much that should flow out of that relationship, Enoch didn't describe any of that. Enoch didn't describe any of the things that he went on and did as a result of that. He simply says, I walked with God. So what I would invite you to do this morning is just stand amazed with me at this tremendous reality. The God of the universe, the God who spun galaxies into orbit, the God who has existed for all eternity, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, the God who is uh, perfect without a single flaw, uh, the God who is deserving of all of your worship and all of your praise, even though you don't give it to him, that God desires to walk closely with you. Here's then the pressing question. Do you desire to walk closely with him? God desires for Enoch's experience to be not just experience. Do you desire to walk with him? Not just so you get to go to heaven, not just so that you check the right boxes, but just to walk with him. Do you desire that? I think all of us would either say no or not nearly enough. And so I wanna come under that question and ask the why. Because we struggle to walk with God, why is it that, that, we, that, that we have this problem? And I, I think a few things that would be helpful for us to consider under that point. Why don't we walk with God? One, simply, one, one simple reason could be this. You didn't know you could. And there's a couple people in that category. Like there's some of you from very religious ritualistic backgrounds where like God to you is simply ritual, going through the motions, going in church, standing up, sitting down. That, that could be a legitimate reason why. Like this, you've never even heard of Enoch before. That, that could be the position that you're in. You just didn't know you could. That's why you don't walk with God. I think that that's one. I think for others of us, the reason we don't is, is we generally understand that we can walk with God, but we don't understand the dynamics of the relationship. In other words, we don't understand quite how this thing is going to work. So, Maybe we think to ourselves, there are some people who are really spiritual, really holy. They kind of walk closely with God. Uh, that, that's not for me, perhaps. That, that's, that's maybe what you think. When we fail to realize that the invitation to have a personal walk with God is on the table and the next move is yours. The next move is yours. The invitation has already been given. Even if you're not aware of it, the next move is yours. And I would differentiate this even a little bit from the way we experience salvation. When we come to saving faith in Jesus, God so sovereignly puts the pieces together that we are brought to a place where we make a real faith decision, but he sees it through to the end. We, we, we believe that, we understand that. But as it pertains to our relationship with God and cultivating a walk with him, God issues the invitation to his people. It is up to you to respond to it. 
In other words, God has all back towards him. Let me read a few examples of this that I think are helpful. So in Revelation 5, verse 20, uh, Jesus is talking to the church. You know, in old days, this, this passage would often be used as like a gospel presentation. This is not about that. This is about a relationship to it. Listen to it. Revelation 5, 20. Jesus says to you, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me. This is a, a description of friendship, of relationship with the God of the universe. The invitation is given. The door is knocking. Uh, the opportunity is yours to consider how are you going to respond to it. Here's another example. Mark's, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. If you've been at New City for more than a year, you've heard that invitation before. We preached that last year. This is God inviting you, saying, seek me, knock on the door. The, the opportunity is yours. Take a step towards me. The, the, the opportunity has been given. It is up to you to respond. One final one, James 4, 8. Couldn't put it more plainly. God says to us, to you, through James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So many of us just sit back and maybe wonder, why is my relationship with God, man, just lifeless? And why, why, why do I find so little joy there? So with this passage, he speaks it to you. He says to his people, draw near to me. And what will you find when you do that? That I'm distracted or disinterested? No, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Many of us just misunderstand the dynamics of the, the relationship where we're just expecting to go through the motions and, it, and, and watch our relationship with God just flourish. No, the invitation is theirs. How will you respond to it? So one reason why we don't walk with God, back, back to that. One reason why is we, we simply don't, know that we can, or we don't quite understand that dynamic, that the invitation has been given to, to God's people to, to do it. A second reason why we can't, why we don't walk with God is plainly we, we don't know how. We, we don't know how. What does it look like to pray? That's one of the hardest things for human beings to do. What does it look like to relate with God through his word? What does it look like to sit quietly and hear from him? That, that's hard for many of us who just haven't considered that, haven't even learned that. I hope that the weeks to come can be helpful for you in that regard. Others of you used to do that, but you are wondering to yourself, not so much what does it look like to read the Bible and pray, what does it look like to, to read the Bible and pray in this season of life? I have no idea. Like some of us, even just finding our way to the restroom undisturbed uh, is a complicated thing in your season of life. What does it even look like to walk with God with everything on my plate, especially with little kids running around? Be encouraged with Enoch, man. It said that he walked, I love this. He walked with God and then he fathered Methuselah. And if we would be discouraged, well, I got So it is, it is possible. But that's a real question. How do I do it? I don't know how to cultivate a relationship with God. And we're gonna get to that, but I think we've gotta deal with a deeper issue. Before we get to the how, we've gotta deal with a deeper issue. So say for example, I go to uh, you know, a personal trainer at my gym. They have world-class personal trainers, just I think the best that are available. And I say to them, hey, I really wanna get in shape. I wanna learn Olympic power lifting and I wanna you know, lose a bunch of weight. Hey, inexperienced or like novice trainer might, might look back to me and say, all right, well, here's the plan. Here's what you do. Here's the movements. Here's how, here's how this is gonna, you know, here's the steps that you need to follow. 
Whereas a more experienced one would say, hold on a second, it's January, I've seen a million people like you before. Uh, I hear you that you really wanna learn this and do this, and there are some things to learn, but before we, we get to the practical how, I need to know that you actually genuinely desire this. I need to know that this is something that you're actually going to pursue, and it's not just a quick kind of you know, hobby for you to jump into for a second and then, and then step off. But before we deal with anything else, with the practicals of the how, we've got to get to this core issue of desire. Because I think, brothers and sisters, for all of us, the issue is not so much a matter of knowledge. The issue of our relationship with God is not so much a matter of ability. The issue in our relationship with God is unfortunately a matter of desire, of desire. And this is indeed the great tragedy of the universe. The God of the universe comes to human beings and he opens his heart to them. He opens his love to them. He gives them this opportunity that being I will sure no other aspect of creation is invited into. He says, human being, I will walk with you. I will be in your life. I will have a relationship with you. I invite you to walk with me. Do you know what the natural human response is? Shrug our shoulders and walk away to find something that's a little bit more exciting. That is, someone once said that something far more insidious and wicked than even our hatred of God is just our general apathy to him. Like someone could come to us this morning and say, something incredible has happened. You've received the greater life with more joy, more fulfillment, uh, and enduring happiness through all seasons of life. And we say, okay, great. What, what is that inheritance that I've received? And the inheritance is, is that you get to have a relationship with God. Many of us would naturally think to ourselves, oh, is that it? Like, just the, I guess that's good, you know, but is there not something more? Is there not something that I get out of it? Because our natural response to a living relationship with God is one of apathy. We naturally just quite frankly do not care. And I think this apathy can manifest itself in two distinct ways. There is a irreligious apathy towards a walk with God, and there is a religious apathy towards a walk with God. Most of us in this room are gonna live over here in the religious one, but let me just hit the uh, irreligious apathy towards a walk with God first. This is the younger brother in the prodigal son story. The opportunity for a relationship with the father is presented. Uh, there are uh, ways to walk with him that honors him that are required of us. And the irreligious response of apathy towards a walk with God is, no, thank you. I couldn't care less about any of that. I'm gonna go fill my life with joy with something in the world. Uh, I'm not even gonna play the religious game. I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of God. I'm gonna deny that he exists or I'm gonna claim that I'm an agnostic. No, thank you. I will go find my joy out of something in the world. That is the irreligious response of apathy to the God of the universe and having a relationship with him. The religious one have this uh, is actually a little bit more troubling because you can look very good on the outside and have this kind of response to uh, God. The, the religious apathy towards God on the surface looks very good. It could be someone that lives a very moral lifestyle, someone that even attends church. Maybe they serve, they, they, they want their kids there. 
But at the end of the day, all of it is checking the right boxes because they think to themselves, man, it sure would be useful for God to be on my side, in my corner. It sure would be helpful for maybe my needs that I might prosper here on this earth. It sure would be helpful if there's a heaven and a hell for God to be on my side. So God is a means to an end of getting something that I want. In other words, God is useful, not beautiful. That's where a lot of people live as well. Checking the right boxes, going through the motions at church, but when it's presented to to walk with God, just to walk with God, not because he does something for you, not because you get something out of it, but just to walk with him. The, the, The response is just as apathetic. Regardless, it's the same religious posture. I remember seeing both of these. We got invited recently to this New Year's party uh, where, where everybody was a little bit loose. It was some friends from our gym that invited us there. And uh, this is just an awkward thing that I have to deal with with my vocation. We're all just, everyone's having a good fun time. They ask me what I do. I say, I'm a pastor of a church. From now on, this is what I'm gonna say. I teach history at Baldwin Elementary School. This a history book, like that, that's what I do. That, that, that is, that's my job. But then, you know, because everyone's feeling, uh, you know, uh, pretty good. They feel like they can go. They're, the two groups are right there. So the first group is just, oh my gosh. And they are giving me all their problems with the church. Uh, they're talking about how much they're cursing God. I don't want anything to do with that. And I appreciate the honesty. Honestly, it's, it's fine for people to say that uh, it, just to express the reality of their heart. They look at just, but that must be so hard for you that that's your husband's job that you have to, you know, really uh, do this and go through the motions of going to church. That's one, that's one group of people. Most of them are younger, but then some of the older people who were there, they wanted to pull me aside and say, oh no, that's, that's wonderful. I, I was actually raised Lutheran. I was baptized, was at this church for a while. I also wanted to make sure my kids were baptized. So we, we did that. And you know, I, I do my best and I try to be a good person and soccer came along. And so we weren't really able to engage with the church anymore, but they want to, what are they doing? Like there's, okay, here's like a minister, a man of God. Let me make sure he knows that all the boxes are checked. You know what? Neither group in that little new year celebration had a category for that a human being would walk with God just to walk with God. Like, it, it's, it is a joy just to do it. Like I'm not doing it because I have to get a paycheck. Life that I choose is to walk with the God of the universe. But naturally, all of us are in one of those camps. Either I'm not even playing the game, no thank you, or I'll like check the right boxes, but intimacy with the God of the universe, not even a category that that would be a joyful experience. So that, that is our core problem. Not the how, not finding time. The core problem that we have to grapple with is our own desire to walk with God in the first place, which just brings us to just this last point for us to consider. What has our lack of desire to walk with God done to his desire to walk with us? What what has our apathy done with God? Think about yourself, right? Even as like a little kid. You know, you, you try to pursue a relationship with someone and they clearly show like, no, I'm not interested. What do we say? Fine, I wasn't, I didn't want to be your friend anyway. You, you, you kind of walk, walk away from it. We, we kind of turn away from that hurt and move away. What has God done? So we are invited by God. He opens his heart to us. He invites us into a relationship with him like he has not done with any other aspect of his creation. He invites friendship. Uh, he invites us to walk closely with him, we shrug our shoulders and walk away. What does the God of the universe do? The God of the universe puts on human legs and he walks right after us. The God of the universe, when we present him with apathy towards a relationship, 
it intensifies his zeal for us and his mercy all the more. Our, our desire, uh, our disinterest in a relationship with God has caused him to pursue us even more intensely. I want you to hear how Ezekiel describes the role of Jesus when he would come to his people and what he would do to people who had wandered off through this metaphor of a shepherd with its sheep. What would the God of the universe do to people who shrugged their shoulders at him and went to find joy somewhere else? What would the God of the universe do when he came with human legs, a human body and the person of Jesus? This is what Ezekiel 34 says. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have scattered, they have clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from all the peoples and from all the countries that I've scattered them and I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them uh, with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their, their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture where they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. What does God do with our disinterest towards him? He sends Jesus to pursue us even more intensely than we ever could imagine. We have tarnished, ripped up, destroyed our relationship with the God of the universe, with our sin, with our apathy towards him, with our preferring all the things in creation to him. And what has God done in response? He sent his son Jesus after us to live perfectly in our place, to, to bear the wrath. Man, when you get turned on like that, it, 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 it creates a crushing experience. It creates an experience of betrayal. It, it, it creates an experience of wrath and anger. God puts that anger on his son for our rejection of him. And then he rises from the grave on the third day in order to give us new life, a new life where we can walk with him in an unhindered way. So in the weeks ahead, we're gonna be considering what does it look like for you practically to walk with God this morning though we got to get to that question of desire. And I've intentionally structured our service a little bit differently this morning because I know for many of you, if you're anything like me, it's like a precious commodity. What we're going to do, don't even think, don't come to communion yet. We're not doing it yet. I want you to just sit in your seats for a few moments. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is the simple question that I want you to grapple with. How is your walk with God? How is your walk with God this morning? Don't even think about trying to cover it up and, and make it prettier than it is. No, just sit in your seat and before the Lord, ask that question to yourself. How is your walk with God? He desires to walk closely with you. He's done everything needed for that to happen. Do you desire now to walk with him? You're gonna have some time to just linger on that. Maybe pray, maybe confess some things that you need to confess. And then there's, maybe other people in the room and you're in a little bit of a different category. I, I read that long passage, right? About how God was gonna come like a shepherd and rescue his people. There may be others of you in this room where I'm talking about a relationship with God 
and you've not even come to a place in your life yet where you've allowed God to rescue you through Jesus. You've not even come to a genuine place in your life where you've said, I am a sinner. I, am, I have sinned against God. I've done wrong things. The only way that I can be forgiven and have a relationship with God is through what Jesus has done for me. I just wanna encourage you with this as you sit in your seat and, and you think about that. And Ben, you can, you can make your way up as you play during this time. And I was talking with our community group earlier this week about, uh, hey, what does it look like to, to walk with God? What does it look like to begin a relationship with him? And there are lots of people coming from different places in the group as it pertains to their relationship with God. And you know, we're immediately wanting to move towards like practicals. Like, all right, I guess I could start reading my Bible or I guess I could start going to church more or I guess maybe I could get some Christian friends. Like, like all of these things that you can do. But let me just tell you this. If you are in a place where you're far from God this morning, the first way, okay, the first way you begin a relationship with God or you take a step towards God is by believing in what he has already done to take a step towards you. God has taken a step towards you in sending his son Jesus. Give all of your past wrongs. Will you allow Jesus to open up this walk with God or will you stay in your sins? That is something you have to ponder with and I invite you to do it as we just have some time to reflect this morning. So wherever you sit on your journey with God, would you just take some time? There's no rush out of here. We have time. Sit in your seat. Allow yourself to ponder that question. Where are you at with your relationship with God? Have you allowed him to rescue you? Uh, what, what needs to be laid down or confessed before him this morning? The space is ours to do that. So I'm just gonna let it linger for a bit and I'll be back up in just a few moments to set up communion.